Hey, Nothing is Wasted family, it's official. We have just launched our Nothing is Wasted community groups platform, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. What if you could find true, authentic community in the midst of your valley? Imagine walking this journey with people who are also walking the same valley as you and are committed to helping each other move through it in a God-honoring way. Imagine getting hopeful encouragement and helpful advice from folks who are just a little further along in the journey. Now, we've been imagining it for years now, and we're thrilled that it's finally become a reality in the form of Nothing is Wasted community groups. To join the groups, all you have to do is go to nothingiswasted.com slash community groups, click on join a group, and then it'll take you into the portal to create a login and a profile. From there, you can join a group or a couple of groups that apply to you and you can start making some connections. We believe there's going to be so much healing and so many lifelong friendships that come out of this. I can't wait to see what God does through it. Again, it's nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. Can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And joining me again, Maria. Hello. Maria, how are you? Doing We're on a first good. name basis now. I know. <laughs> Davey? You're on a first name basis with our listeners. You know, yeah. It's it. We're That's buddies. It. That's right. Well, again, just so you know, if you have not listened to Maria's episode, Maria Hatch Bowersock, episode 64, incredible interview. We sat right here at the same yep. table. I believe at the same places at yeah. this table, right? Yep. And talked about your story. What an incredible story. You have walked through quite a bit of trauma and pain and suffering and loss. Yeah. In your own life. Mm-hmm. And you have navigated it and and have done your best to follow Jesus through all of this. Ooh. I know we're all like trying to figure yeah. out what that looks like. Yeah. But I, I say that because today we have an interview with Mark Batterson and he's kind of the prayer guy, you know, yeah. like that's what really put him on the map with Circle Maker. And so in some of this, I have a conversation with him about prayer mm-hmm. and how your journey in prayer gets affected by pain and suffering. It really does. And and I'm just curious as to how you have seen that affect, you know, your own journey affect your prayer life and your, your relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, as I was thinking about that, like my prayer and suffering versus times where I wasn't necessarily suffering. I think about it this way, like my prayer and suffering. I mean, I can, I immediately get uh, moments that flash Mm. back in my, Mm -hmm. my mind. Like I remember my knees being on the carpet for so long that I would have the imprint of like the carpet fiber in my knees. Um, And you feel like the burn a little bit afterwards or where my face was in the carpet crying and crying out to God and like carpet fibers are up your nose and like (laughs) you're just like a mess and tears are all over the floor and snot is all over your face. And like that, those were the moments in suffering. Those were my like gut prayers. Like Mm -hmm. they like came from like my gut, like everything came out of me. And they were even the prayers that people were like, oh, don't pray for that. Like I remember praying that mom would come back to life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like God raised Lazarus, why couldn't right. he do that for mom? Right. Those are the moments where you you just like you let you throw everything into every, it. Every everything. God, yep. I know that you can do anything. Mm. So like just do it, Lord. Just wow. do it. And so and I want those were the moments that in the suffering that I just like let it all mm. out. Um and then as that those um that season, right. um I got further from the intense season. I th- I think about those prayers as like prayers from my heart. Like mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily change and I didn't believe God for any less. Like I still believe God for everything yeah, he could give. Right. Um, but it was, it was, yeah, I don't know, just more prayers from the, from the heart. Yeah. If that makes any yeah, sense at all. Absolutely. Well, it makes perfect sense because I'm totally resonate with you in that. I feel like I was in the same exact place and you know, as I kind of think about it, I feel like I was, I was, I, I had those exact experiences, mm-hmm. had that kind of fervor and intensity with yes. prayer and experiencing 
God in an intimate way, in a comforting way yep. that only the Holy Spirit can can provide. But then as I got as I moved further away from that season, one, I, I covet that season. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, man, like I I I miss that kind of intimacy. Yeah. Like especially as you start to move into some drier seasons. Right. You know, and you're like, wow, like God's word, like for me right now, personally, just to be honest. Like as I sit down and read my Bible every morning, I don't feel like God's word is jumping out at me the mm-hmm. way that it certainly not the way that it was back then, mm-hmm. and not the way that it has in many other seasons. Mm-hmm. And so there are times you go into these dry seasons, you're like, man, I just long for, and yet you're careful not to say that because right? you're like, we you know do- that only pain and suffering kind of no. induces that. I know, like you don't want the pain, like I don't yeah. want that pain, right? But. I also wouldn't trade those moments that I had with God for anything. Yes. And that's really hard to um, explain to somebody that hasn't been through right. those right. seasons because you're like, what? Yeah. yeah. Why would you not trade that for anything? Yeah. But they are the most intimate times yep. with God. Absolutely. And and then I feel like, you know, and maybe this is personality for me because I'm an Enneagram 3 and I'm more of like an advancer, achiever type mm-hmm. personality. I feel like in those seasons of suffering, I was more on a, I wouldn't say a defensive, necessarily a defensive prayer posture. Mm. It was more like a, you know, regrouping, like I need, yeah. praying for things like, like, Lord, I need strength, I need comfort, yeah. like I need you to like help me, I don't know, you know, more of these desperation type mm-hmm. prayers. And now my prayers have ventured more into this like um, advancement mm-hmm. type season. And I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. I mm-hmm. feel like maybe it's a good thing, but I think yeah. it does ebb and flow based on the season you're in. Right. Now my prayers are more like, hey, we have this ministry and I, we want it to impact people and yes. affect people. So like, Lord, would you move greatly on our behalf in this? And would right. you provide for this? It was a lot of provision type prayers mm-hmm. in that in that sense. Dreams. and right. So I can see definitely a progress happening with me. Yeah, um, and that's some of the progress that you know, thanks to Mark Batterson, not only his books, but also like this conversation that I have with him was really instrumental. Just to yes, piece this apart a little bit. So good. So we want to jump into that conversation, but before we do, I want to ask you to go and rate and review the Nothing Is Wasted podcast on iTunes. If this has helped you, if it's ministered to you, if it's impacted you in any way, would you show us that and tell us that? Return the favor. Uh, by rating and reviewing. This just helps more and more people be able to get exposed to the healing conversations that are ha- happening and uh, and it encourages our hearts to, to read it. So please go and do that right now. Yes. And while you're doing that or after you do that, why don't you head over to our Instagram, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, and give us a follow or comment, like. Um, we'd love to see you on there. In addition, we have another medium where you can submit and read stories mm-hmm. um, at story stories. You yeah. know, we can't feature everybody's story on the podcast, right. but we do have them over on the website. Yeah. And we just get these stories out there. Yeah. Like there's so many profound, so good, powerful So encouraging. Stories. Yeah. So we'd love for you to share those with us. And if you have any guest suggestions, many of our, like some of the best conversations we've had have been suggestions from other oh, people. I They've didn't said, know this. Hey, you should check out so-and-so's story or, Hey, I have this friend that you know, and so um, we oftentimes we call you guys like some of our unsung heroes. Like mm-hmm. that we get. I to, love that. I love that you call like, them. Call like we us don't. That. You don't. You're, they're not writing a book. They're not. There's not anything else that we would be able to. F- but but a friend's like, you've got to hear this story. This is amazing. We're like, oh my gosh, wow, so powerful. And so if you have one of those and you'd love for them to be on the podcast, hello at nothingiswasted.com. You can email us there again. Hello at nothingiswasted.com. And uh, without further ado, I want to jump into this conversation with Mark Batterson. So take a listen. Pastor Mark, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. This is an absolute honor to have a conversation with you. Yeah, so fun. And and this is the first time we've actually had the opportunity to to talk and uh, been excited about it. Well, I have uh, been a huge fan of of your ministry and all the things that God is doing 
um, there through well, not only your church, but also through the writing. Um, obviously, I just shared with you off air that I read Circle Maker right before we planted our church in Indianapolis. And man, it was just a huge blessing to me, just unlocking so many different elements of my faith. And, uh, and, and you have just written this, uh, another book. I mean, you've got so many of them out there, but this one that talks about blessings. And I am super excited about having a conversation with you about this because this is a podcast where we talk a lot about suffering (laughs) and hardship and trial and pain. And yet at the same time, there is this element of blessing and they seem to work not they, they seem to, well, those of us who have walked through pain and suffering, we can understand they, they work in tandem, but they seem to be diametrically opposed concepts, right? Blessing yeah. and suffering, it seems like those two can't exist. But I, I'm, I'm curious if you would just kind of sh- share with me a little bit about what, what do you mean by blessings when you speak of a blessing when you, when you talk about it in this book? Yeah. Well, we, we talked a little bit about this, Davey, that I think sometimes, um, well, someday we will thank God as much for the prayers he didn't answer as the ones he did. Hmm. Because we're not omniscient. I think a lot of times we ask for the wrong thing. I don't think yeah. we know enough always to know what to pray for. In the very same sense, I, I think I would say um, very humbly at the outset, I don't know if we know what a blessing or a curse is up front. Mm. I, I think a lot of things that we perceive to be a blessing, they actually backfire and end up being a curse. And some things that we think are a curse, well, guess what? They're the catalyst for growth or the, they're the catalyst for God doing something else somewhere else. And we don't know that mm. because we don't know enough but I think some of those things end up being the blessings in disguise. Now, all of that said, um, to me, this is the starting point, and, and maybe we can kind of build off of this, that before original sin, there was original blessing. Hmm. And that sequence is so important because if you get that sequence wrong, I think the whole algorithm of life is off and you relate to God for the wrong reasons. And and then the whole equation doesn't really work. And so scripture really begins Genesis 128, God blessed them. And so this Mm. is God's most ancient instinct. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, if that's, that's really insightful because really all the suffering that we experience is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin, the fracturing of our universe when sin entered into the equation. And so, but you're saying prior to that, there was a blessing that was placed over things. And if we get this wrong in the wrong order, then we're going to misconstrue and misunderstand so much of our theology and understanding of who God is. Yeah. And you know, even just from a practical level, like Okay. Do I believe in original sin? Yes. I have children. Okay. (laughs) So it's not hard to believe in that. Um, Listen, there is a sin nature, all of sin Hmm. and falling short of the glory of God. But my children need to know that their blessings first and sin are second. Wow. And, And I think you need to know that. And I need to know that. And so listen, if blessing is God's most ancient instinct, that means it's the earliest memory of the human race. Huh. Our earliest collective memory is God's blessing. And that's why there's this deep, profound longing within us, I think, to be, um, to be, I think, celebrated for who we are, accepted for who we're not, yeah. um, to just be loved as is. And that, of course, is what God is so good at. Wow. So... Um, Pastor Mark, how how exactly are you in this book defining blessing? Because I, I feel that tension sometimes as I'm as I'm preaching that I, I talk about, I just kind of lay out this general idea of God's blessing because it's laid out in scripture. But then I feel this like, ooh, I don't want to mislead somebody to think that this is all of a sudden 
you know, material blessing that's going to rain down. This is kind of a prosperity gospel. God's a, a genie in a bottle. So how would you define, yeah. how, how are you defining blessing? Yeah. And I think you start with saying what it's not. It's not mm-hmm. health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, those things can be a byproduct of the blessing, but the reality is we are devaluing the blessing of God if we turn it into a material thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's things you can't put a price tag on. It's joy unspeakable. It's peace that passes understanding. Um, and then I would say it's it's not an immunity card. It, it doesn't mean that uh, we somehow get to shortcut or bypass. Everybody walks through the valley of the shadow of mm. death. And I'm sure we'll talk some about yep. that because we both experience that in unique ways. But it, it, it's not, um, <laughs> it, it's just, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. Um, but he also said, take heart, I've overcome the world. So mm. it, it is not a picture of an exotic vacation, hashtag blessed. It's not a bumper right. sticker on an expensive car, hashtag blessed. Um, might as well cut to the chase. In, in my mind, it's right relationship with the God in whose image I'm created. Mm. And so it really is God with us, God for us, and God in us. And then there are also these uh, kind of secondary blessings um, in in the sense that every good and perfect gift does come from above. Wow. Well, you mentioned it already. We all have at some point or multiple points in our life, we experience a valley. We experience trial. We experience tribulation. I've read you know, many books by you where you've talked personally about some of the trials that you've walked through as a as a pastor, as a, as a person, as a husband, as a father. Um, and in this book, you talk quite a bit about this idea of blessings in disguise, where even out of some of those valleys, we can experience blessing. It seems like this, this paradox. Can you maybe share from, from your, your personal life how you've experienced that kind of a thing through walking through trial? Yeah. And Davey, the first thing I would say up front is that um, I live by a little mantra that Oswald Chambers, the guy that wrote My Utmost for His Highest, yeah. you know, he said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. Oh, and wow. so, you know, your testimony is unique. My mm. testimony is unique. And, and so I'm not necessarily... Um, this is more descriptive than prescriptive. That's great. Yeah. Um, but I think two experiences really maybe will put this in context. You know, when I was 30 years old, my intestines ruptured actually while I was preaching on a Sunday morning oh, wow. and I walked out doubled over in pain. And uh, after an MRI, about 12 hours later, realized that I was uh, my body was going into shock from sepsis because it was poisoning itself. And uh, went into emergency surgery, spent two days on a respirator, have about a 14-inch scar, which uh, uh, actually gives me the illusion of a two-pack, if we're being honest with each other. You know, it's kind of... it. it uh, Blessing in disguise. It, there you go. Yeah. It uh, <laughs> might not be a six-pack, but it's a two-pack. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would look back and say that that was the worst day of my life. I lost mm. 25 pounds in a week. Uh, it really cost me a year of my life in terms of time and energy and multiple surgeries. I also look back on it. I wouldn't want to go through it again, mm. but I would also call it one of the best days of my life because you will not take any day for granted after the day that you almost die. Mm. And so um, in, in some mysterious way, I cherish my wife a little bit more. When I would tuck my kids into bed, it was a little bit different mm. because you can't take things for granted when you almost lose them. Right. Um, so that's one experience. And then, you know, I think a second experience that I actually write about pretty extensively in the book was, you know, I would have been 28. My father-in-law would have been 55. And uh, Prima Life, Prima Ministry, um, four days earlier, the doctor had said I could drive a Mack truck through your arteries. And then he dies of a massive heart attack. Um, You know, nothing prepares you for that. And I I think you go into a little bit of emotional shock and spiritual shock. And I think that's God's grace, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was at the foot of his casket as I'm grieving and we don't even know how to make sense of it. 
that I, I did pray what I've since called a double portion prayer. I, I didn't know what else to do. I just said, God, would you give me a double portion of his spirit? He was a pastor in the Chicago area, mm. um, pastor at a large church, biggest heart for missions of anybody I've ever met, and uh, basically wanted to grow up to be like him. Mm. And uh, he was taken from us much sooner than I would have scripted. But um, I believe everything God's done in and through uh, my life, both as a writer and as a pastor, really traces back um, to a moment of grieving and to Mm -hmm. a prayer that was prayed um, that I don't even think I knew fully what I was praying for. Wow. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I I feel like that some might believe that people who are closer to God or seem to be closer to God, pastors, you know, people of big faith that they're exempt from suffering, that this is not something that they're going to experience or that the closer to God you get, the, the, the less suffering you're going to. And, and, and what's interesting is I, I seem to see the opposite almost, almost the direct opposite yeah. in scripture yeah. where you have all of the disciples who were killed for their faith. Yeah. How, how do we how do we wrestle with this idea as believers who are wanting and desiring to get closer to God, wanting to get closer to this favor, blessing, and yet wrestling with, man, it seems like the closer I get to God, the more suffering I might endure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, let's, let's just dive into it, right? Yeah. There, there's no, there are no easy answers. Um, and, and I might preface what I'll share with this little idea from, from the book that the blessings of God will complicate your life. Mm. Now sin will complicate it in a way that it should not be complicated. Blessings will complicate your life in a way it should be complicated. So when my wife and I got married, it complicated our lives. (laughs) Well, praise God for 27 years of complications Mm. And then we have three complications named Parker, <laughs> Summer, and Josiah. And I can't imagine my life without those complications. Um, when our church went multi-site, it complicated our org chart. Mm-hmm. When I started writing books, it complicated my calendar. I, I think it's important to say up front that the, the blessings of God, they will complicate your mm-hmm. life. And so let's start there. Um, and, and then I might go to that story about Jacob. Uh, mm-hmm. When he wrestles all night, and uh, I'm sure you've preached this a time or two, uh, <laughs> yeah. as I have. And, you know, you remember his hip was thrown out of the socket. Yeah. And I'm guessing without the medical technology that we have, Jacob would have walked with a limp the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, 23 years into pastoring, I walk with more of a limp. Uh, I have an emotional limp. I have a spiritual limp. I have relational limps. Um, but I've come to the point where I don't trust leaders who don't limp. Yeah, that's good. Because um, I think you're faking it. And, and so, um, but here's the beautiful thing about that story. Yes, the limp was a reminder of the injury that he had incurred. But what did that all night wrestling match result in? It resulted in a blessing. And yeah. so I would argue that the limp was actually um, a beautiful, in a strange way, was a beautiful reminder of the blessing mm. that Jacob had wrestled for, not just all night, but I think his entire life, wow. finally got the blessing. And so I, I think in some ways, yes, there was an injury that came with it, but uh, that, that's kind of how I live my life these days. Yeah. And I'm limping a little bit more, but I think it's also uh, symbolic of the many ways in which God has blessed me. Yeah, that's so good. I think, you know, you could maybe also even say that for us, maybe not, we can't, we can't necessarily infer this from Jacob that he considered his limp a blessing, but I certainly can see how the limp that my trauma has incurred in my life is a blessing because it allows me to be able to understand people more. You know, it allows me to be able to empathize with people more. It allows me to be able to minister to people. I feel like there's so much ministry that happens out of hurting, out of your own personal hurting. And, yeah. and so, 
you know, perhaps even it's for, for many of us, it can become your limp is your blessing. <laughs> you yeah. yeah. And I think you are speaking so many people's language right mm. now, because I think some of us feel like our woundedness disqualifies us from mm. ministry. No, that is your ministry. That's great. That, that's what God wants to use. And so, um, you know, Joseph certainly would not have wanted to go back and spend more time in an Egyptian dungeon. Mm. But look at the way that the Lord used those circumstances. I don't believe he caused them. I think it was his brother, his brothers. They sinned yeah. against their brother yeah. and they intended to harm him. But God then leveraged it and used it, of course, to save two nations. Mm. And so, um, I think I might even interject this, that what what makes us think that we can become like Christ without going through the same things he did? Wow. I mean, without being betrayed by Judas or denied by Peter or tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. What makes us think that we can get to a place of Christ-likeness um, without walking down our own Via Della Rosa, our yeah. own way of suffering? And so... Um, we don't wish that on anybody. And we know that there is a day coming, a place coming where there is no more mourning or sorrow or crying or pain, Yeah, that it is, it is literally suffering free. Mm. But, um, you know, on this side of the space time continuum, I think we walk through a lot of things that, uh, I might throw this out there that I have a Deuteronomy 29, 29 file mm. and, uh, it says that the revealed things belong to us, but there are some secrets that belong to the Lord. In other words, there are questions that time cannot answer and, and that I won't know the answer to until I get to the uh, other side of eternity. Yeah. And uh, I, I wish I could say that that file wasn't getting thicker, but mm. it is. And uh, life is hard yeah. in so many ways, but... God's grace is sufficient as well. Yeah, that's great. I love that idea. A Deuteronomy, what did you say, 29? 29. Deuteronomy file. 29 file, where you yeah. just start tucking your questions of going, I don't understand this, but I'm I'm choosing to trust you in this God. And one day, when, when Jesus, when I see you face to face, you're going to reveal this to me. Hey, Nothing is Wasted family. I have author, counselor, and relationship expert Deborah Faleda here with me. By the way, she was featured on episode 101. If you have not listened to that episode, go listen to it. She has written this fantastic book, Love in Every Season. And Deborah, in this book, you issue that every relationship goes through four life-changing seasons. Can you explain that for me? You know, every relationship goes through a natural pattern that I call the four seasons of a relationship. And it starts with spring. Spring is the season of new beginnings. It's the time when our emotions are blossoming, our attraction is blooming. Then we move into the season of summer. Summer is when things get hot and we start to shed our layers, revealing the truth about who we are in this relationship. Summer is the season of intimacy. And then we move into the season of fall. Fall is the season when our true colors begin to shine through. And we learn about our ability to navigate conflict and communication. And then we move into winter, the season of steadiness and familiarity. Our emotions and our interactions have settled into a comfortable pattern. But if we're not intentional in the season of winter, we can find that our love has frozen over. Each of these seasons play an important role in how we navigate these seasons ultimately determines the health of our relationship. Thank you, Deborah. If you want to purchase this book, you can get it at nothingiswasted.com slash love in every season. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash love in every season. One of the things you talk about that I was so fascinated with, Pastor Mark, is this, this idea, um, and you mentioned it with, with, uh, with Charles Spurgeon, you mentioned it with Abraham Lincoln about how, how both of those leaders and people that, you know, in history, we revere so much that they walked with kind of a limp in the form of just longstanding depression. 
And many, much of it, it seems like it, it was incurred by some like spiritual oppression or opposition that they were facing and this constant, I'm pushing against this, like maybe, maybe in the, in the spiritual, these forces that were kind of opposing them as well. But you talk in that about this idea of the, the it's, it's darkest before the dawn, that there is often this like really deep sense of oppression and, and depression potentially right before some of the best blessings and breakthroughs. Mm. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? And have you seen that happen in your life? How, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, as I was writing that very chapter, I, I, the only way I can describe it, and maybe I'll even have a little bit of fun with this because it's a heavy subject. Um, it's like being on a bench press where you put too much weight on the bar, Davey, mm. <laughs> and it, it's on your chest and you know, you cannot push out one more rep yeah. and you're either going to have to tilt the bar and make a big noise, uh, or you're going to have to roll it down your body. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I felt that way this last year because mm. we were in a capital campaign and a building project and, you know, I heard that 65% of pastors quit after a building project and it made no sense to me until after I went through one. Mm. Um, it, it has been so heavy on me. And uh, I'll never forget being in a gathering, about 70 pastors in the D.C. area. We have kind of this um, wonderfully diverse mix of pastors that get together. And I don't know, one day one of the pastors just shared their testimony of being uh, experiencing depression mm. and in his case, clinical depression. And, uh, and so I just opened it up to the group. I said, how many of you in the past year have had a bout with depression? And I, I don't know if it fits the DSM-5 you know, mm. qualification, but um, more than half of the hands went up. And uh, I said, how many of you in the last couple of years? And about every hand went up. And so again, going back to this idea, pastors are not exempt. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we might be twice as likely mm. um, to feel some of that depression. And some of it, I think, is oppression from the enemy. But some of it is just there's a wear and tear to mm. life and ministry. And you're trying to bear other people's burdens well, it's hard enough carrying my own yeah. or, or my marriage or my children. And so um, I just take heart in the fact that some people that God has used the most uh, have been those who uh, have spent a lot of time in the valley mm. and have really walked through some tough, tough times. And, uh, yeah. and of course, share those stories in the book and, yep. and, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln, for the record, said, I am the most miserable man living, in other <laughs> words, of all the people on the planet. And this was before the Civil War. This was before wow. he was elected president. But I think God was creating capacity within him. And so just be encouraged today if you're listening and you feel like, mm. oh, I'm in a tough season. Well, maybe God is creating a little bit more emotional capacity and that then he's going to use wow. that to use you to help other people. That's really interesting. You just, as you're saying that, Pastor Mark, I was thinking about my wife right now. She's nine months pregnant. We're literally about to have this baby any day now, right? She's yeah. going to have it more than I am, but she, but she, we're about to have this thing and she's, she's experiencing these contractions. And she's a medical professional. She's a PA. And so I was asking her, hey, medically, what is a contraction? And she said, well, essentially, it's your uterus getting ready to birth this baby. Mm. And it's interesting that that pain comes right before as, as it's trying to build the capacity to be able to bring about this birth. And it seems like that's the case in the spiritual oftentimes, too, that yeah. it feels like there's these, these things that are building our capacity, this pain that we undergo almost yeah. right before we experience some kind of breakthrough or, or blessing as you're, as you're terming it. Yeah. I feel like we might be playing a little bit of spiritual ping pong right now, <laughs> because now it makes me think of this wonderful passage in Romans eight, where it says that mm. the spirit is interceding for us with groanings. I'm wondering yeah. if those are really contractions. Huh. If something is being birthed in the spiritual realm and you don't really use words for that. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you and don't, so then again, you I'm, don't I'm use like words. so encouraged right now because, wow. you know, before we woke up this morning, after we go to sleep tonight, I mean, here is the spirit of God 
in contraction mm. for us to birth in us uh, what it is that he wants and he wills. Yeah. Well, uh, in, a, in, a, in a moment, I want to kind of talk about some of the ways you talk about positioning yourself for the blessing, whether it be, you know, you find yourself in a season that's a mountaintop experience or a valley experience, some of these oppressive depress depression type seasons, how do you reposition yourself? But while we're kind of in the valley, I, don't, I wasn't planning on asking you this. We talked a little bit about this off air, but I'm, I'm curious. I, I shared with you a little bit about as you wrote, you know, when you wrote The Circle Maker, I read that with my late wife, Amanda. And we kind of went off and made it our, our big dream prayer list that we were going to be praying God for these really big things in our life. And um, after her death, I began to start, I, I began to check off all of these different things that happened on my dream list as a result of, it seemed like, as a direct result of her death. And so what it's causing me personally, maybe this is going to be just a personal counseling session for me, Pastor Mark. What it's caused in me personally is a hesitation to pray really big things. I literally, almost every year since her death, I've gone to write down a George Mueller type list. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is what I want to see God you do and some big things. And then I hesitate mm. and I stop and I'm like, I don't know if I want to bear what seems to be the can I say repercussions of this or the, again, it's kind of like that getting as close as you can to the sun type feeling where it's like, man, this could feel like I'm going to get burned. Maybe comfort and convenience is a little bit easier. Maybe what has, here's my big question. If there was one question I would want to ask Pastor Mark Batterson, what has kept you motivated? What's your driving motivation behind praying the big prayers? You speak about it a little bit in this book. Asking for the big, audacious, God-sized things that are so clearly, evidently, it could not be you. It has to be from God. What keeps you motivated praying for those, despite the fact that you know there's going to be some hardship involved with them? Yeah, I love the spirit behind that question. And the question itself is sobering, because if you're asking God to do something bigger Really, what you're asking God to do is complicate your life. Mm -hmm. You're asking God <laughs> to make you uncomfortable. If you're asking God to do something that's beyond your ability, you're basically saying, scare me. Mm. Uh, you know, and so, but at the end of the day, it, it can't be about selfish motivation. It's got to be about doing something that if you tried to take credit for it, people would laugh at you. Mm. I mean, at the end of my life, I want God to do things that people know there's no way Mark could have done that. Um, and so I don't know. There's something that just keeps getting me up early in the morning and keeps, uh, keeps me up late at night that I'm just believing God for something even bigger and better. And I, yeah. I think the way you steward a miracle is you believe God for bigger and better miracles and, wow. and they'll do things along the way. I'll give you one example. Um, for 40 years, my earliest memory is actually an asthma attack, had asthma for 40 years, uh, played college basketball, but did it with an inhaler in my sock, slept with an inhaler under my pillow. And uh, July 2nd, 2016, uh, I feel this prompting to just, we're in a series called Mountains Move, and I feel prompted to pray the bravest prayer. And it's that the God would heal my asthma. And I'd prayed that prayer hundreds of times, and God had not answered it. Mm. Um, but sometimes the bravest prayer is praying it one more time. Wow. And uh, from that day to this day, I have not touched an inhaler. God healed my lungs. Wow. Uh, 2017, ran the Chicago Marathon to celebrate that miracle in my, in my life. Um, Davey, I, I wouldn't wish 40 years of asthma on anybody. If you add it up, mm. I spent months and months of my life in an intensive care unit. I've been code blue. I've had doctors and nurses rush into the room thinking I'm taking my last breath, 13 years old. Wow. Um, but I think there's got to be something within us it continues to reach out for the eternal, continues mm. to reach out for the impossible, continues to reach out for God to do something that's miraculous. Yeah. And the second you get settled, well, I think it's the beginning of the end. Wow. I, I think then you're kind of hanging up the cleats. So mm. um, 
That's I think great. it's why prayer is so important. I think it's why goals are so important um, because I think they keep us pointing towards the future and don't let us get too comfortable with what God's done in the past. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I feel even more encouraged and emboldened right now personally. So I know that there's listeners who are feeling the same way. So go back, going back to this idea of positioning yourself for blessings, let's say you find yourself in a, a season of trial, or let's say you're finding yourself just kind of in, it seems to be a fairly normal season. Thank God for those, right? Fairly normal, yes. whatever that looks like, normal whatever that looks like. Yes. But you, you, you talk a little bit about this idea of positioning yourself for the blessings of, of God. What, what is that? What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, so blessing is God's default setting. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to bless greed or pride or laziness. He mm. loves us too much to do that. And so we've got to figure out some of these, what I would call habits of highly blessed people. Um, <laughs> Humility is a good example. You know, here's the scary thing to me. You can be doing the will of God and God can be opposing it. Now, wow. I know that that sounds contradictory, but it's yeah. not. The Bible says God opposes the proud. So you can be doing the right thing, but if you're doing it for the wrong reason, God can't put his full blessing on it. And so Mm. I think operating in a spirit of humility, um, I I think even excellence is a great example. You can't just pray like it depends on you, uh, on God. You have to work like it depends on you. Um, I love this Dorothy Sayers um, quote. Uh, She said, I dare say that, no crooked table legs or ill-fitted drawers ever came out of the carpenter shop in Nazareth. Oh, now let, let that just kind of set in for a second. In other words, I think as a carpenter, up until probably about the age of 30, I bet Jesus did what he did with excellence. Yeah. And God honors excellence. And so if you want a blessing, don't take shortcuts. Don't take the easy way out. And so I think, you know, the, the long answer to your question is, what are these habits of highly blessed people? And uh, of course, right at the top of the list is just this idea of good old fashioned obedience. Yeah, that's so great. Well, I've got one more question. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but you you, you talk specifically about this idea of kind of doubling the blessing by by paying it forward. And this is one of my favorite concepts that you talk about in this is it, it, it reminds me a little bit of just this idea of like that, that movie, pay it forward, just whatever comes into you, be a conduit and just let it, can you, can you unpack that a little bit? How does that generosity mentality help to position us for a blessing? Yes. Yep. So, uh, I call it flip the blessing hmm. and, uh, beats flipping the bird. Right. (laughs) Sometimes we feel like doing that. Um, But we bless those who curse us. And so Mm. it's this simple idea that you inventory the blessings that you've received. Mm. By that, I don't just mean monetary. I think time, talent and treasure. Who has blessed your life in some distinct way? Well, inventory it. And then you flip the blessing by blessing other people and put your fingerprint on it. You know, you you don't have to be Bob Goff, for example. You know, I share a little bit of Bob's story in the book. Um, There's only one Bob Goff, right? Um, But you have to figure out what what is your unique way of blessing other people. And uh, and so, of course, this is as old as the Abrahamic covenant. Mm. You know, you are blessed to be a blessing. But it really is the secret to the double blessing. The way you get it is by giving it. And so if you stop giving away the blessing, um, listen, the blessing dries up Mm. and you become kind of this dead sea, so to speak. Um, But if you continue to uh, uh, flip all of the blessings that God pours into your life, well, Guess who wants to bless you even more? Hmm. The Heavenly Father. In fact, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly before Him. And so uh, just wow. to, to be honest, my wife and I have so much fun with this. Uh, <laughs> from tipping servers uh, to just taking note of little ways that people have blessed us and how meaningful it's been. Yeah, um, And then we try to do that for other people. 
That's so great. Well, I love what you said, taking inventory of what you've been blessed with. I think so many times when we're walking through pain, trial, hardship, it's easy to get immersed in our own pain and not look up and go, wait a minute, what are all the different ways that God has blessed my life? And I think that the, the, one of the most profound ways for us to be lifted up out of our hardship, or at least give us a new perspective, is to have an attitude of gratitude. And so taking that inventory gives us that gratitude and then allows us and enables us to pay it forward to position us ourselves for more blessing. Pastor Mark, this has been awesome. The book is called Double Blessing. We're going to make sure we put it on the podcast page so you guys can access it really quickly. But man, just thank you so much for this conversation. This has been an absolute honor for me to be able to have this with you. Uh, I told you I woke up this morning and told my wife, I'm getting to interview one of my heroes today. And so thank you for the the life and the legacy that you have already left, uh, the ripple effects that you have throughout all of Christendom. It's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> well, Davey, I'm humbled by that. And uh, just a joy to be able to have a conversation with you, to hear your heart, uh, to discern the story that God's writing through your life. Mm. And uh, maybe the last thing I would say is uh, uh, with, uh, with your wife being nine months pregnant, it's about to get complicated. <laughs> Just remember. Yes, it is. a blessing. That's it's a, a blessing. blessing. <laughs> so, hey, uh, joy to be with you and uh, a double blessings. Thank you, man. Well, I was uh, definitely blown away by that conversation with Mark. Yeah, such a good conversation. I couldn't, I'm like still geeking out over the fact <laughs> that we got to have a conversation. One of my, good. one of my heroes, man, thank you, Mark, for, uh, I feel I can just call him Mark. So Pastor Mark or Pastor Batter, Batterson, that just doesn't Mark. Just Mark. Yeah. I feel like we're on a first name basis yeah, now. I feel like just you like can do you that. and I are. Yeah, I mean, you can totally do that. And then via vicariously, you're on a first name basis with him too. So I know. Which is pretty cool. Might as well. Let's you know the thing. The thing that really um, I think I loved about this conversation is that he talks about and kind of like pushes this idea of blessings yeah. out there, which obviously is a word that gets so yes. misconstrued in Christian culture. Yes. Um, but I, you know, I know for me, walking through something hard has shifted and changed my perspective on what blessings yep. are. What, what about for you? I'd love to, I'm oh, curious to hear. A hundred percent. In fact, I talk about this often when I'm yeah. speaking um, and where it, where the wrestle and the sh- struggle kind of came from is after my parents died, Yeah. Um, I was pregnant with my first mm. and often what I heard was your daughter is such a blessing. Now, don't get me mm. wrong. She is such a blessing. Right, right. But what they were saying is like, she's a blessing as as if it covered right the, like a replacement or right. something or yeah right so i really internally i didn't tell anybody this but mm. between me and god i really wrestled with what yeah, is absolutely. a blessing because mm. and this is why because my parents died and if they were a blessing mm. then they yep that died yep and then if my daughter's now the blessing well she could die too yeah so what's the blessing? Wow. And that is where I really needed to know, Lord, what is the blessing? Because I can't have a blessing that can be taken from me. Mm. I need to know what can't be taken. And that's what I love that Mark talked about that because yep. that is exactly where and what the Lord taught me wow. in the season of suffering of my blessings are not taken wow. and they cannot be robbed. Because that is it's, so good. Oh, so good. I so, needed to yeah. know. I needed to know wow. that blessings could not be taken. Wow. And so I needed to know it was more than just like yeah. the gift of my daughter. Yeah. Because it's not like he, God like gives you a gift and then later on he's like, oh, right. I'm going to take that back. Yeah. You because know. then what does that mean? Wow. What does that mean then if, you know, my dad adopted me late in life? I was adopted at 18. But then he died seven years later. Mm. So like, what does that mean for my blessing then of that? Like just knowing what truly, truly is a blessing. And I love that Mark touched on that. Man. Because that can be so healing for so many people that are struggling and wrestling with it. Because it is one of those things that I think we do struggle with and we Mm. wrestle with. It's so human too. Um, But we don't talk about it because it's like, how do you talk about something like that? Absolutely. Well, it doesn't make sense because it seems so paradoxical. Right. 
And but also, if we define blessings differently, if we define it in the way that Mark uh, espouses in this book and in this conversation, then that means that when something is quote unquote taken from us or something is withheld from us, right. it it can still be a blessing. Right. Like exactly. Um, I, I'll never forget reading Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote about the gift of loss, the mm-hmm. gift of loss that there is blessing even in loss. And so I think I want to challenge the listener, like, look at something through a different lens, like look at blessing through a different lens. Yeah, that's so good. Also, we want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing the music. Go ahead and check him out and listen to his music. Yeah. Next week, we have a conversation with um, a lady named Kelly Strife and powerful story, heart-wrenching story. And she told us this story really fresh in mm-hmm. her grief, which is a very unique perspective. It's something that yep. you're not going to want to miss. So I want you to take a listen to this part of my conversation with Kelly Strife. We've been trying to get pregnant for a little over a year, and um, I had just wrapped up some testing um, to find out what, what our chances were. And our doctor had said, you know... Um, she said, I'm not saying you won't get pregnant on your own, but it's not as likely mm. that you will. Um, so I'm recommending that you start kind of looking into other options. And um, so we started having those conversations. And um, the next week, I got a positive pregnancy test. And wow. it was just kind of this fulfillment of like, right. yes, Lord, all of these things that I've waited for and longed for are, are falling into place. Um, and so we got pregnant, um, in the fall of 2018 and, um, we were due in June of 2019, June of this year and had really a pretty unremarkable pregnancy. Um, didn't really have major issues, didn't have any, any, um, inkling that Mm. something might not be right. Um, and our daughter was due on June 7th and June 7th came and went and, um, A week later, actually six days later after her due date, I woke up one morning and thought, you know, she's not moving like she normally does in the mornings. And so we did all the things they tell you you're supposed to try and then called the doctor and said, hey, can we just come check? Um, Mm. And so we went we went to the doctor and they they called us back and they started listening for a heartbeat. Um, And then they took us into the ultrasound room and they. hooked us up to the machines and they started looking and we could tell something wasn't right. Mm. Um, but we're just kind of hoping, you know, hoping that we were wrong. And then the doctor looked at us and she said, there's no heartbeat. Mm. 